Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The spark didn't work, but it did. A different kind of spark. The spark ignited inside me when I realized that you all are my friends. We have confirmation that this is We do have coming in. Coming in. That's uh, that's confirmed reports. I I repeat, we have confirmed reports of the fail file nations in Philadelphia and St. Hampton. Hey there friends, I'm Nuclear Yuki, and welcome to another episode of A Nuclear Reading Show. Today, we're continuing on with KCAT's Fallout Equestria. If you're enjoying what I'm bringing to the cold, dark wasteland, don't be afraid to tell your friends about me, or find me on Twitter as Nuclear Yuki. It's a big help. And since the gangs can be a bit feisty, Fallout is owned by Bethesda, and Hasbro made my little pony, Friendship is Magic. With all that said and done... Welcome, friends, to the Wasteland. Chapter 44, Galvanize, Part 1. Faith. We're all called, at one time or another, to have faith. Faith in the goddesses, faith in pony kind, as Velvet Remedy was struggling to regain, or as with homage... It is faith in heroes and the value of the good fight. Sometimes, the faith you are called upon to have is faith in yourself. 
Faith doesn't require us to be willfully blind or dogmatically stupid, but it does require us to take risks, to put our trust in something we know might not be true, even when the cost of failure could be very high. Especially then. For some of us, faith becomes our central reason for living, for pressing on. Faith is what allows us to believe in a happy ending, even in our moments of greatest sorrow. It is what allows us to hope of rescue, even in the most suffocating darkness. And faith, more than anything else, is what the wasteland is ravenous to devour. More than kindness, more than innocence. The wasteland does its best to tear away your ability to believe in anything other than itself. And when you no longer believe things can get better, when you stop trying, that's when the wasteland has won. The wasteland can kill us, but so long as we die trying, as long as we die believing, then its success against us is ferric victory at best. I'd been thinking of a story Spike had told us of that night in his cave, one of many tales of the mares before the ministries. This particular tale was about a time when Twilight Sparkle's magic had failed her. Do you know of any spells for turning a hydra into a mouse? How about a squirrel? No, no small rodents of any kind. And she had been asked to rely on Pinkie Pie's irrational pinky sense. You'll be fine. It's your only hope. You have to take a leap of faith. I am, almost certainly, about to die. This is my leap of faith. Two days ago. It's time to end this! I thumped my forehoof on Zakora's table for emphasis, causing my sparkle caller rad to bounce. The contents of the bottle fizzed brightly. I still had the soda from... from when? Just after old Appaloosa, wasn't it? I found it in the wreckage of Ditsy Doo's original delivery wagon. Goddesses, that felt like so long ago. Well, I might as well drink it now. I wasn't expecting a lot of opportunities later. It was the wee hours of the morning. When we arrived at Zakora's hut late yesterday evening, Life Bloom and Velvet Remedy had done everything they could for Reggie. Fortunately, her wounds only mimicked those caused by magical energy, and through exhaustive work, they'd been able to heal her. But the trauma and the restoration had taken a great deal out of her. Life Bloom had warned us that she needed rest, and a lot of it and wouldn't be in any condition to continue with us for a good while. Right now, she slept on the cot next to Zenith's, the one we kept the hellhound on the previous night. Most of us, myself included, had taken the chance to get some sleep. Even Calamity took a nap after tending to very important hat recovering. The escapees, those who hadn't left on their own, had bedded down outside. The followers of Red Eye on one side of the hut, every pony else on the other. Several of the ponies from the Overcast's prison had worked together to dig a grave for the foal who had died in captivity. The child's mother had fashioned a remembrance marker by pulling a stone from the ash-clod stream not far away and wrapping it in vines of softly glowing phantasmal flowers. I have been waiting for this, Calamity whispered to Velvet Remedy, who turned a surprised expression from me to him. A while ago, Little Bit promised me that we'd find a way to make all this death and destruction worth something. He explained as she opened her muzzle to ask. Little Pip's got a plan. I can't believe you're planning to drink that, the albino hellhound muttered. I still wasn't entirely sure why he was with us, especially now that he could run or dig away. I expected he was why at least some of the ponies elected to stay outside. Not that it would help should he turn hostile. 
but instead he seemed almost genial, particularly towards Velvet, whose face he'd nearly severed not one day ago. That shiny crud makes a better splosive than a drink. Calamity's ears tilted. It makes a better what now? If she don't drink it, I'll show you. Calamity looked about as comfortable and trusting of the newly friendly hellhound as I was. He turned his focus back to me, although he kept casting sidelong glances in the hellhound's direction. Little Pip, what are you planning? Velvet Remedy asked, sounding both curious and a little put out that this was the first she knew about this. Calamity quickly whispered assurances to the mare he loved, insisting that I'd been keeping everything hush-hush and that even he didn't know. This single Pegasus project, I told my friends and assorted strangers in the hut with us. We're going to bring back the sun. Only Calamity looked unsurprised, and there were a fair number of gasps. You're going to bring back the sun? Lifebloom sounded like he couldn't have possibly heard that correctly. Yes. I thumped the table again, the sparkle coal around hopping further away. We could see Celestia's sun. Feel her warmth again, every pony? I looked at Velvet Remedy. Something you said a while ago really struck with me. I told her. You said that you can't really stop something bad until you take away its reason for existing. I watched as she sat down and slowly called on that memory of being in Calamity's embrace, breaking down after the horror we stumbled upon at Fluttershy's cottage. The Enclave exists because of the Cloud Curtain. That's their source of control, through a stranglehold on crops and information. Without it, the Enclave will cease to exist. I knew this was hardly going to be an immediate effect, and so did they. Open the sky, and they won't be able to stop all the Pegasi who look down and then decide to buck off the government who's lied to them. I proclaimed. Open the sky, they no longer have a reason to slaughter ponies out of fear that one of us might remove their precious clouds. Open the sky, Velvet interrupted cautiously, and the Pegasi will starve. We can't do that. I paused, then nodded slowly. I know, and we won't. I smiled as I looked at my friends. A smile that hid the chill in my heart. That's what makes us different than Red Eye. Well, one of the great many things. Red Eye would have just blasted the cloud curtain away. We need to get in, analyse the situation, and trigger a cloud sweep from as many towers as we can without causing famine. For how long? Calamity asked, clearly concerned. The Enclave's kept the population down so that everybody can eat comfortably on what they can provide, plus food to stockpile. You cut the farmland in half, and they'll be able to make up that from stockpiles for maybe a year, and then you got a crisis. They ain't ready to live on scraps like we do down here. Y'all will have ponies starving to death while others hoard. Pegasi Raiden Party's taking what they can from the towns below. Calamity shook his head. I tell ya, we do this, and it's gonna be a bloody mess. Maybe for just a little while, I admitted. But I assured him. I know a way to fix it. I just can't talk about that part just yet. And I'll tell you tomorrow. We've got to meet with some people first. Calamity levelled a prolonged stare at me. Then his expression brightened. That's my girl. Velvet Remedy cleared her throat, and Calamity jumped to rephrase. Not my girl, my girl. I mean, not like my mare, I just meant... Then he caught her snicker and shut up, blushing. Life Bloom was still wrapping his mind around what I'd said. You're going to give us back the sun? Not just me. I smiled at the buck. I'm going to need all the help I can get. When Amarge started calling you the Lightbringer, did she know? He asked. 
the question driving a wedge of pain into my heart. For a moment, I couldn't speak. I could only shake my head. You got two problems, little Pip, Calamity stated. First, you can't get in. And second, you can't even get in to get in. Not only is the SPP central hub shielded by the grandmother of all Alcon shields, something that no pony has ever been able to breach, but it's surrounded by the Enclave's Navarro military base, and that's shielded by the Blue Dome. The Blue Dome? Calamity sighed. Remember when the Enclave captured us and had us in those blue energy cages? He asked, prodding my memory. The first thing I remembered was Ditsy Doo prodding the field. Zap. Ow! And I had to prevent myself from snickering. The Enclave erected a huge protective dome just like that all over Navarro. He glanced towards the sleeping form of Reggie. Keeps out rogue griffins in the lack. You got plans to get through those? Flemty queried. A stealth mission? Velvet Remedy asked warily. Actually, I admitted, I was thinking something closer to a direct attack. Dead, stunned silence. Broken first by the hellhound. And you let her make the plans. He leveled a wry stare at Calamity and Velvet. On purpose? I tried to head off the coming avalanche of protests. Look, the moment they know we're there, they'll start bringing the full might of that military race to bear. I claimed reasonably. And we won't last minutes against that. Ah, and thus the full frontal assault makes sense. Lifebloom rolled his eyes. Makes our deaths quicker. I shot him a look. We're not red-eye. We don't have the forces for a sustained battle. The way I see it, we have two options. Either we pull off the most flawless stealth mission ever. I could read in their expressions how likely they all believed that wasn't. Or we pull out a smash and grab that gets us to our objective before they know what hits them. A surgical strike? Calamity suggested, pondering. That could work, assuming you can find your way past the two shields. I nodded eagerly, looking to the others. So, who's in? She asks without even telling us half of the plan. Calamity snarked, exchanging amused looks with Velvet Remedy. Smiling back to me, he proclaimed, We are, of course. I'm not. The albino cyber hellhound growled slightly. Attacking a winged pony base in the clouds. That's a long way to fall. I flinched. I stared at the hellhound and he returned my gaze, his eyes boring into me for a moment. He knew. Still, I know someone who might be able to help you, he offered reluctantly. If the winged ponies ain't killed her yet, he added. And you can rescue hellhounds as good as you can rescue ponies. I wasn't sure if he was challenging my skill or my willingness. Who? Fluffykins, he said. She was a warclaw, one of our fiercest. Used to run the biggest pack in old Olney before your enclave snatched her up. The enclave shrugged. Long time ago, before they came with their magic noises. A test subject, Calamity concluded. For the Enclave's behaviour control experiments. Most likely she's dead. But if not, you let her loose and she'll take care of any pegasus she can find. As an afterthought, he told Calamity. Don't be one of them. Fluffykins. Reggie chuckled groggily, surprising all of us. I had no idea when the adolescent griffin had slipped out of sleep. Scourge of the Enclave. She looked blearily at all of us. I'm in. No. Lifebloom told her, you're not. You're not going to be in anything but a bed for at least a week. 
The two of them glared challengingly at each other, and I shared a look with Velvet. Calamity, already focused on the task ahead, inquired, Okay, little pip, what first? First? I paused, tapping the tip of my hoof on the table. First, we have to get the ponies outside to safety. I want to take them to Junction R7, I guess. So first we need transportation. I challenged Calamity. Think you can get the tortoise back up and flying? Calamity snorted. And here I thought you might ask for something hard. He turned and nodded towards the wing velvet and bound in a cast. We don't call them scat tanks for nothing. The armor on that thing damn near stopped a shot from an anti-machine rifle. If it hadn't, I'd last more than just the use of a wing. He frowned seriously. Crashed up more damage to us than it did to Tartos, I'll bet. But even if we get it fixed, I won't be able to fly it. I nodded sadly, and then on impulse, I trotted over and gave Calamity a fierce hug. We'll figure something out. There were a few Pegasi amongst the captives we had rescued from the Enclave's Thunderhead. Maybe we could ask one of them. Velvet Remedy got up, walking past me. Little Pip, could I have a word with you, in private? I gulped. I gave Calamity a worried look, and he just shrugged. He was wearing the exact same expression I always pictured a father would wear, while his wife insisted their daughter swallow helpful but icky-tasting medicine. Velvet Remedy was walking out of the hut. I paused and then started trotting after her. As soon as I stepped to hoof out the doorway, the cyber-legged hellhound moved, swiftly crossing the room and taking up the doorway. I jumped back as he blotted out the light coming from the room inside, kicking up my eyes forward sparkle. Little Pip, he said with an almost whispering hiss. Ain't no small thing you're intending to bring back the moon and the blanket of gems. Blanket of... oh, he meant the stars. All this time... I'd been so focused on the idea that I was bringing back the sun, I'd forgotten what I was doing would return so much more to Equestria. Or there might be those whom the gift of the night sky might hold much greater significance. Goddess Luna, I thought, must be so very disappointed in me. You do this, and even I might forgive you a little. I stared at him, paralysed. He did know. As if reading my thoughts, hellhounds can't do that right. The albino cyber hellhound growled. The splendid valley packs declared themselves at war with the ponies. When you're at war, you don't get to complain when the enemy kills you. He glared at me sternly. I don't blame you for them, but the ghost farm packs, the beggars I put them down there to die, just like Red Eye did with those unicorns. His next words hit like a sledgehammer. And I notice which ones you didn't rescue. Autumn Leaf had forced peaceful hellhounds into battle and had handed his own guns fire on their position. He had intended for them to die while helplessly driven against their will. If anything, his unrepentantly callous discarding of their lives had been a final, clear signal that even as he cried out for rescue, he had no regard at all for the lives of others. But the truth was, I hadn't tried to save them either. I... I couldn't, I told the hellhound sadly. They were violent, and I don't have anything like Velvet's spell. And if just one of them slipped out of my telekinesis... Something I knew that would have been all too easy. All one would have had to do was get close enough to a wall to shove off it, and they could push themselves out of my levitation field. And kill one of the unicorns. Their collars would have gone off, and we'd all be dead. The truth was, I couldn't have saved both, and I chose the unicorns over the hellhounds. Unicorns, who had been faithful acolytes of Red Eye in his new unity, over once peaceful hellhounds who had been tortured by the Enclave.
Yes, because then there will be free-willed, hyper-aggressive creatures who have just suffered mind control at the hooves of ponies. Lifebloom had reminded us. Far less dangerous. I wish I could have. I admitted. But I couldn't rescue both. And yes, I chose the ones who wouldn't likely slaughter the rest of the ponies I was rescuing. Or, hopefully, any pony else. Because if I'd rescued them, knowing they would slaughter more ponies, just like if I'd let Autumn Leaf go, then wouldn't I be at least partially responsible for everyone they killed afterwards? Zebra logic was, perhaps, not so insane after all. Velvet Remedy was waiting for me at the edge of the glade of phantasmal flowers. With a sigh, I lowered my head. My gaze turned up to the semi-friendly hellhound. Your people have every reason to hate me, but I really am trying to do the right thing, the best I can. That, I could only assume, was the coldest of comforts, but I had to say it. I had to say something. I'm sorry that I haven't been able to do better. Another thought occurred to me. After this, the Pegasi will have plenty of reason to hate me too. I felt sudden empathy for Scootaloo. To save Equestria, I've become the villain of the piece. I moved slowly away from him, turning my gaze to Velvet Remedy. As I started to move towards her, the albino hellhound hissed again. You do this. You give us back the moon and the jewels of the night. And maybe we'll have reason to see you as more than just a villain too. He coughed hesitantly and then added, And maybe I know another who could help you. Tell me where you are gathering and maybe I'll send him your way. I stopped, my body suddenly a battleground. My head loved the idea of another ally, a hellhound no less, and my heart leapt at a chance to do better, but my gut churned uneasily at the idea of giving the location, a rendezvous for the ponies who had the fate of Equestria at their hooves, to a monster who I didn't really trust. The Enclave enslaved them and sent them to die. I chose not to help. And all this after Splendid Valley. The long history of that place, and the way I had written its final chapter... Why would a hellhound ever help a pony? I looked at the albino hellhound, my eyes drifting to his shiny new cyber leg, and I knew the answer. Because of Velvet Remedy. I wasn't quite willing to trust him, but I was going to give him a chance. So I told him instead about a hardware store near the passenger wagon stop in Fetlock. Today. The first shot was fired less than an hour after dawn. I didn't think any pony would ever know by who, but that shot lit the fire. Two massive armies charged forward over the badlands outside of Philadelphia. The orifices of the Enclave Thunderhead Glorious Dawn opened and spewed a black carapaced plague that swarmed down from the sky. Hundreds of battle-armoured unicorns and earth ponies, a great many of them survivors from the pit, galloped to meet them, firing assault weapons and high-powered rifles with enchanted bullets. Griffins soared into the sky from the Philadelphia Wall, anti-machine rifles firing at each target of opportunity. More than a dozen raptors swooped in, their energy weapons turning Pinkie Pie balloons into flying infernos. The first four crossed over the wall when Stern unleashed her biggest surprise. Although badly wounded, Red-Eye's Cyber Dragon had survived the fight in the Everfree Forest, and for reasons only it could know, it still fought for Equestria, and it was pissed. The first of the raptors was torn apart in a whirlwind of violence. The sound of heavy, cruel thunder drummed the earth as the glorious dawn descended into the fray. Two days ago. Calamity's under the impression that you killed his brother. 
Velvet told me directly. I need to know. Did you? Should I lie? Would that spare my friend's pain? No, I'd been down that road before. Lying to my friends, especially Velvet, tended to turn out badly. Yes. She stared at me quietly. I was trapped in an unpleasant déjà vu. Hadn't I just had this conversation? I interrupted her silence. And before you try telling me I should have given him a chance, you didn't see him down there, and you didn't see Friendship City. My voice was slowly rising. He'd had chances. You have to want to change, or at least show a shred of remorse or decency or something. Like you wanted to change? Her soft voice sliced through the growing storm of my rant, and I shut up staring back at the mare who had shot me, and in doing so had saved me. Deflating, I said simply, If I'd let Calamity's brother go, he would have most likely sought revenge on all of the wasteland. He had no regard for the lives of others, and Red Eye gave him every excuse he needed to turn his Operation Cauterize into something more like quarantine and incinerate. What was she suggesting we could have done? Kept him paralysed while we tried to indoctrinate him with morals? Memory therapy? My mind dredged up some of the less comfortable implications about the Ministry of Peace, and I stopped myself. Velvet Remedy hadn't suggested anything. All she did was ask the question. I was the one who galloped off in questionable directions. My mind still wrapped up in my talk with the Hellhound. Taking a deep breath, I said, I'm sorry. What was it that you wanted to say about it? Velvet shook her head. Well, first, I wanted to see how you were holding up. She told me. And now I have a fair idea. I moaned, lifting a hoof to my face. She was concerned about me, and probably concerned about my friendship with Calamity. I cantered over to stare at the beauty of the softly glowing phantasmal flowers, their vines covering the ground in what looked like a maze for insects. Well, there was plenty of concern to go around. Attempting to shift the subject, I countered. How about you? You let yourself be captured by the enemy to help the hellhound who tried to use you as a hostage. I couldn't hide my disbelief, or my worry. That was not a smart decision, and as the princess of stupid decisions, I should know. What were you thinking? I imagined myself in his position, Velvet Remedy confessed as she walked up next to me. She lowered her head to sniff one of the flowers before she continued. Surrounded by hellhounds, missing a leg, my only chance of recovery depended on somebody be willing to risk their life for my sake. She smiled. Strangely... It wasn't that hard to imagine. I blinked. Whoa, hold the reins. That wasn't the same. Not even close. No, she admitted openly. But there were enough similar elements that I had a little difficulty imagining what the poor boy was going through. Poor boy. The albino death machine. And I knew that. While I could never be so selfish as to ask an elder to risk themselves like that, I would secretly be praying to the goddess that some pony would. The look she gave me reminded me a lot of the look she had given me back in the boxcar nearly two months ago. But this was a more mature, wiser version of that look. How could I not do for him what I knew I'd be praying some pony would do for me? That he would do for me should our situations be reversed. I thought about that, and as I did, curiosity snuck up on me like I'd found myself with my nose in a phantasmal flower patch. The flowers did smell good, an ephemeral floral scent that had a suggestion of mint. He wouldn't, you know, I told her. Should it matter? I took a moment to reflect, thinking of the things I'd done, and for who. 
thinking most recently of braving the Everfree Forest, the Enclave and Red Eye's Cathedral to save unicorns who were, in many cases, willing followers of Red Eye who didn't stick around to say thank you, some of whom resented me. I didn't even notice the lack of thanks, more concerned with their safety as they departed alone into the Everfree Forest. And even now, I didn't miss it. No, they would not have done the same for me. But that didn't matter. No! Today. This is boring! Reggie complained as he turned and ploughed into another bank of clouds, driving it back. Below, a maze-like swathe of grey appeared, a small glimpse in the ruins of Manhattan. There's an actual battle going on! Just keep at it! Gordonia ordered. These clouds won't clear themselves! It was proving harder than she had expected. The cloud curtain kept trying to seal the gaps, filling in almost as quickly as they tore them apart. Blackwing! Butcher! Watch your flanks! You've got a black dress moving in! To make it worse, many of the clouds were charged. A thunderstorm had been building over Manhattan last night. Reggie turned again, slicing into a thicker cloud with her right wing, attempting to cut it down into a more manageable bundle. She yelped as the cloud zapped her, making her feathers flare out awkwardly, smoke curling from the edges of her wing. Damn it! The six Pegasi Enclave patrols seemed to come out of nowhere. Brightly coloured beams of pink and green lanced through the air, two of them striking Gordia in the breast of her armour. Mother! Reggie cried out in alarm, pulling out her twin calamity guns and returning fire. I'm fine! Gordia called back drawing her dry-barreled magical energy shotgun as she dove behind a cloud bank. Three of the black armed Pegasi kept firing. Clouds were good for obfuscation, but made for useless cover. They concentrated fire quickly vaporised them. Gord wasn't there. The Pegasi swung around, alerted by their EFS compasses as Gord burst up through the clouds behind them. It saved two of them. Gord unloaded all three barrels into the breast of the third, burning through his armour and into his heart. A crack of thunder tore the air, and the second Pegasus was ripped apart. Severed limbs spinning off, the clouds misted with red. Say hello to little Gilda! Butcher whooped. The remaining Pegasus on Gord backed up, firing rapid blasts of blue and gold from the multi-gem minigun in her armour. Gord grunted at the effort, forcing her body to move more quickly than it wanted to. Three of the strikes tore along her left leg, igniting her body in pain. She swept the magical shotgun around to fire again. One of the other Pegasi dived in at Reggie. She brought up her guns, but he was too fast, spinning and bucking her in the face as he fired twin beams of pink at Butcher. One of the beams struck the Talon-heavy gunner squarely, and Butcher dissolved into pink ash, little Gilda tumbling down through the closing hole in the clouds and disappearing from sight. Fuck! Reggie yelled, her head spinning, one of her eyes swelling closed. She spun, trying to recover, attempting to bring her pistols back up to bear. The Pegasus looped around to face her just in time for the adolescent griffin to get her aim. Reggie fired both guns into the visor of the Enclave Trooper, just as his poisonous scorpion tail sunk through her talon armour and into her back. The Pegasus Gord had fired on melted away in a liquid stream of green, dissolving in front of her to reveal her daughter, as Reggie dropped down through the clouds. Reggie! Gord screamed. Two days ago. We just started back towards Zakora's hut when the alicorns appeared. Leading them was a midnight blue alicorn, with a flowing, silky mane of very light blues. Like frost. 
that reminded me distinctly of Trixie. I dropped into a battle stance, ready to try and dodge lightning bolts, little Macintosh out of its sheath. Velvet Remedy stepped forward, her horn aimed. What do you want? Damn it. We did not need this. I'd have to draw them into the forest, away from the hut and the ponies we had rescued. Couldn't risk having any of them caught in the crossfire. Why the hell did this have to happen today? You! The pretty main alicorn informed Velvet Remedy. Oh, hell no, I thought fiercely. We wish to continue to make more of us, the alicorn continued. No more red eye, no more black book. You will fix this. You want to procreate, Velvet said slowly. It was beginning to dawn on me that the alicorns were acting non-aggressively. I felt a little stunned. But you have no males. Pointing out the obvious there, Velvet. That's the problem. You will fix this! The other alicorns echoed the statement in a rather eerie chorus. I'm not sure we can help, I said. After all the trouble I'd gone through to eliminate the Black Book and Red Eyes Apotheosis Project, I did not want to see an attempt to resurrect either. Not you! The alicorn said sharply. The others behind her neighing. We know you. You are the destroyer. We do not seek your aid. I wasn't sure if I felt more relieved or offended. Mostly, though, I just felt protective of Velvet. My friend, who they were clearly targeting. Velvet Remedy stared at them, slowly cocking her head, her ears swivelling. Why me? We remember your compassion at Maraponi. The oddly maned blue enlightened her. You are the one who helps. We bring you memories so that you may fix this. The alicorn stated, her horn glowing a frosty blue. I only now noticed she wore a satchel, old and grossly stained. Her horn's glow was echoed by one surrounding the satchel as she opened it and levitated out a pit buck and what looked like a bundle of gore-encrusted wires and odd attachments including a mechanical eye. Velvet Remedy gasped, taking an involuntary step back as the alicorn floated them towards her. So, I said slowly, realising what I was seeing, something of Red Eye survived after all. Red Eye had been dying when he fell into that vat, yes, but he wasn't dead yet. And who knew how long the Cyberpony's enhancements would prolong the dying process? And this was Red Eye. Of course he had an escape plan. And I'd given plenty of time before the Star Blaster bomb went off. Not that it did him much good. Those were Red Eye's cybernetics. He'd been harvested. I felt sick. We found his corpse in the dragon's lair. One of the other alicorns, a purple, claimed. I fought to shove back the bile in my throat. As wicked as Red Eye was, this was desecration he didn't deserve. Instead... I tried to latch onto the more sterile facts the alicorns were presenting. That made sense. The Journal of Dr. Glue mentioned passages beneath the cathedral, and the dragon had to have been living somewhere. And that would explain how it appeared so quickly in the middle of the battle, and why Dr. Glue's requests to use the tunnels to dump the bodies of his victims had received such slow accommodation. He had made it that far, another alicorn explained, before dying of his wounds and from the holy liquids. Velvet was staring at the machines torn out of Red Eye's head with horror and revulsion. I almost expected her to faint, but when had she ever done that? Memories, the alicorn had said. Red Eye was recording 
everything. All his research, all his actions, everything. His cybernetics were akin to a black opal. The massive storage capacity of the pit buck could probably store days' worth of memories. For the rest, he'd need multiple mainframes. I'd seen nothing like that in the cathedral. But this was the stallion whose other headquarters was in the Ministry of Morale Hub in Philadelphia. If any building would have a setup to store that much spying. Damn. That explained the sprite bots too. He was probably using them as relays to transmit his memories back to the Philadelphia Hub. I'd guessed before that he must know the real function of those robots. I'd never envisioned them being utilised like that. Felder Emily squeezed her eyes shut and shook her head forcibly. No. A small blob of meaty red dripped off one of the wires. The alicorns whinnied and stomped. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Calamity flying up, battle saddle on. Life Bloom was galloping behind him. Velvet turned a softer gaze to them. I mean, yes, she told them gently. I will help you, but not like this. There is another way? The frost-maned alicorn asked, her voice surprised. There has to be, Velvet assured her, reaching up a hoof to touch the alicorn's face. And together... We will find it. Calamity landed, his eyes darting between Velvet Remedy and the alicorns. Leaning close to me, he whispered loudly, So, uh, they ain't gonna attack us? I really have no words. The alicorn heard him, not that doing so was much of a feat, and she shifted her gaze towards him, as did half of the others. We have learned, she admonished Calamity. Siding with those who oppose the Destroyer and her friends leads to failure. I blinked. My own previous thoughts about the alicorns resurfaced in my mind. They never fell for the same trap twice. Today. Hold the line! The steel ranger shouted, his armour speeding through a reloading cycle as he crouched behind the rubble that until ten minutes ago had been a mostly intact Java's cup. Those winged bastards get no closer to stable tech than right here! The zorching sound on the smell of ozone. Melted metal and boiled flesh told him that he had just lost one more of his soldiers. Knights, all of them. Too young and too unprepared to be fighting for their home against enemies like this. The reload cycle finished just as the sound of black carapace-wearing ponies flew overhead. The Steel Ranger launched two missiles and watched them home in on a single target, blowing the Enclave Invader out of the sky. The rest of the squad broke apart, swooping back to strike at him from all angles. He couldn't get them all, so he focused on the bonds to his front and to his left, opening up with his grenade machine gun. He had a clip of magical energy grenades scavenged from one of the patrols of these bitches his squad had taken down before. No better time to use them than the present. So he was rather shocked when one of the Enclave attackers closing in on his right was ripped from the sky with anti-armor grenade fire. The Enclave ponies banked sharply away, reassessing the new threat. The Steel Ranger turned to see another Earth Pony in magically powered armour standing on the ridge of rubble across the street. Armour identical to his, except that it was painted in bands of rich apple red. Without a word, the Steel Ranger turned away from the Applejack's Ranger, focusing upon the enemy. The Applejack's Ranger galloped in, shifting to cover his blind spots. The two of them fought together, side by side, until the ground ripped open beneath them, pouring forth Enclave-helmeted hellhounds. Two days ago. Dawn began to break on the horizon, sending streams of smoke-altered light through the trees. 
The flowers began to dim, the translucent green petals no longer appearing ephemeral, but still no less delicate. The forest awoke silently. All the sounds of nature stilled. The creatures of the forest driven out are burned alive by the fires, their ghosts offering no sounds. After Velvet Remedy had spoken with them a little longer, the alicorns departed as swiftly as they had arrived. Or at least I thought they did. The lead alicorn's horn glowed a frosty blue, and the group of them blurred and vanished from sight. Whoa, Nelly! Calamity whinnied. We knew the blue ones could turn invisible, but they never turned to other alicorns invisible too. They're learning, I said, feeling equally shocked. Growing! Velvet's eyes widened at a realisation. They haven't even begun to see their potential. There was a moment of silence as this new reality sunk in. Then, one by one, we started back towards Akora's hut. The earthbound calamity slowly trotting next to Velvet as she took the lead. Little Pip. It was Lifebloom. He had fallen behind, and from the sound of it, he wanted to talk with me. It was turning out to be that sort of day. Yes? I've been thinking about how you were claimed you had a way to deal with the impending food crisis. He began. There's a food production megaspell, isn't there? What? How did he... It's the only thing that makes sense. I hadn't told any pony about this, except for homage. I'd only breached my promise to Spike with her, because she would be one of the element bearers. I hadn't even dared tell Red Eye. Or maybe a poison cleansing megaspell, he considered. If you purge all the poison from Sweet Apple Acres, you could feed a lot of ponies. Not nearly enough, but it would be a start. The Twilight Society, of course. They did have access to much of Twilight Sparkle's spell research, including several of the spells that were woven into Gardens of Equestria. Something like that, I admitted, trying to be intentionally vague enough to not betray Spike and Equestria's most valuable secrets. Yes. I'd like to see it, he said next. No, I replied swiftly. I quickly explained. It's not my place to show it. That's up to someone else. I added, It's guarded. Ah, he said succinctly. I began walking again, but he stopped me. You're not planning to just shut down the single Pegasus project, are you? He looked at me seriously, his voice taking a slight edge. You're not planning on coming back, are you? Was it that obvious? Part of me wants to hug you and proclaim you my hero for what you're about to do, my flume granted. But part of me wants to drop you and keep you paralysed until I can hoof deliver you to our marsh so he can buck some sense into you. I almost wished he would. It would be so much easier if this choice was taken from me. Somebody has to stay inside that place. I explained to him instead. The only way the Enclave will stop trying to eliminate every pony who could possibly take over the central hub is if it's taken over. And not just for a moment. Life Bloom nickered. Well, maybe I'm just thinking with my friendship here. But have you thought about what the best will do to homage? His voice was cross. She's already lost Joke Blue. What do you think this will do to her? My heart seized painfully. This will destroy her! He stomped the ground in emphasis. I rounded on him, my face scrunched in internal pain as my feelings of loss shifted into a gut-wrenching abhorrence at myself. I know! I felt the first of many tears. I stared into his eyes while my vision blurred hotly. But what if I don't? If I selfishly put the two of us above all of the wasteland and leave Equestria suffering for it? I answered for him. She'll lose her faith in heroes, maybe even in the good fight itself, and she'll blame herself for it. 
Lifebloom looked stricken. I'm not going to betray her cause and the reason she loves me just to keep her. My words were a knife. That would destroy her too. That would destroy her worse. I was betraying homage with my choice, yes. But that would be a far more horrible betrayal. Homage deserves better. And I was losing someone I'd never deserved. Lifebloom swallowed and turned his gaze away, ashamed. Besides, I can only get one pony in myself. And I'll have to be locked into that machine, put into an artificial coma in order to run it. I looked up at the smoke-tainted clouds visible through the treetops. I need to analyse the towers in the Pegasus farmlands. Set off only the right towers. I can't do that just by throwing a switch. Lifebloom considered that for a good while. He was so quiet I didn't think he would ever speak again. I almost started back, noting the hellhound was once again in the doorway of Zakora's hut, this time having waylaid Calamity and Velvet Remedy. We have to do better, don't we? He asked in a small, soft voice. You're right, and you were right, he continued, finding a little more strength. We've done almost nothing to help. The Twilight Society... We've sat back, hoarding our secrets and telling ourselves, Hell, we're virtually the Enclave in miniature. I swiveled around to see the crimson and scarlet-maned white unicorn staring at the dirt, downcast. Even my joining you is little more than a token. In Zakora's doorway, the cyberhound was dangling my undrunken sparkle collar rad in front of Calamity's muzzle. We're hardly deserving of the name we've taken. Lifebloom looked up, his own eyes as tear-filled as my own. We have to do better. We owe it, you and homage. You've done so much, so freely. Hell, you're giving up yourself for all of us. He paused, seeming unsure of what to say from there. I merely nodded, turning my tail on him and trotting off. As much as my heart felt like I'd been put through a blender, this was good. I needed life bloom thinking this way. I had a plan, and without homage... It would be up to him alone to convince the Twilight Society to do their part. Today. The ancient ritual chamber within Tempony Tower was alive with light for the first time in over 200 years. It had been two centuries since the megaspell known as Celestia One had been activated. The ponies inside had ignored the destruction of the city around them, intent instead on bringing the full power of the sun itself down on those zebra islands and coastal lands that the equestrian ponies believed held the launch sites for the bulk of the zebra's long-range megaspell missiles. The last time the chamber was used, entire islands had been plunged back into boiling oceans. The attack had lasted less than half an hour before the Pegasi had closed off the sun. Now, once again, sunlight poured down the artificial chimney, through a well of multifaceted mirrors that caught and reflected the glow of Celestia's sun, bouncing it down into the bleached white chamber below, and filling the ritual chamber with a monochromatic kaleidoscope of light and shadow. A line of robed ponies plodded into the chamber. In the lead was an older, mottled brown unicorn. Behind him, a younger white one with a few curls of scarlet and crimson poking out from beneath his hood. Each moved with purpose, striding to their positions within the intricate, arcane mosaic of polished white tiles. Though not one of them had ever cast a mega spell before, and in fact most never expected the opportunity to do so would fall within their lifetime, each knew exactly what to do. This was something they had practised by rote, but this time they could feel the charge in the air. This time it was real. They looked at each other, 
A few taps at the mosaic tiles with their hooves or whinnied nervously, still not sure that they were really doing the right thing. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Two days ago. I concentrated as best I could. This time... It was my turn to fly Calamity over the treetops of the Everfree Forest. We were going to locate the tortoise, and I was going to levitate it back with us to Zakora's hut, the only safe place to really work on it. We should have just brought a bag with us the first time, Calamity commented earlier. I agreed, but yesterday we'd all been so exhausted and depleted by the time the Wonderbots flew off that none of us were thinking that straight. Calamity hadn't said anything since. His sharp eyes were watching out for shooting plants and other hazards while I tried my best not to drift off to sleep. The effort of flying was momentous. I'd only been up for a hoofful of hours, but the last few days, hell, the last two months, had been so physically and emotionally excruciating that my body didn't care. It wanted rest, and a lot of it. Not now, I tried to think at it. Not yet. Calamity nudged for me to widen our search pattern, and I looked up at him enjoying seeing his face, and gave him a small smile. Calamity was a good friend. The way my morning was going, any minute now, either Calamity and I were going to have a painful heart-to-heart, or we would be intercepted by a monster, probably a chatty one. I almost groaned when Calamity's muzzle opened. I had so called it. Incoming, he warned, his eyes narrowing. Oh, it's the second option. Yay! Even so... I was absolutely not ready for what swooped out of the sky in front of us. I found myself staring into the eyes of a reaper pony. It had the body of a dead pegasus. Gaunt, coatless, its body a pale and sickly white, but the eyes of a dragon. Fierce, glowing yellow irises and cat-like pupils, full of power and fierce life. From behind its shoulders sprouted large, leathery, bat-like wings, a nightmarish armour growing from its flesh. My heart seized. The Reaper ponies were real. I mean, really real. Oh, goddesses, I wasn't ready to die. Not now. You are Little Pip! The Reaper pony exclaimed, its voice like an earthquake filled with knives. The creature shifted its fearsome stare to Calamity. You are Calamity, correct? Gah, it knew my name. The Reaper ponies knew my name. And it wants to talk. My little pony rudely interrupted my panic. So called it. Yah must be the demon, Calamity sussed out. Lionheart, it answered, nearly blasting us back. Calamity flapped his good wing. 
backing us away from the Reaper Pony and its quite possibly reaping voice. Well, that's when I noticed the Reaper Pony had a pip leg with a broadcaster, just like the Ghouls and Stable One. Whoa there, Calamity blurted. Dial down the volume, will ya? Feels like you're yelling at us, he added, with a hurricane. That is not possible, the Cantalot Ghoul Reaper Pony announced. The armour of the palace guards was enchanted by Princess Luna herself, that we may always speak in the royal Cantalot voice, so that our words would carry the proper weight. Okay, not a Reaper Pony, a survivor of the destruction of Cantalot. But do not fear, we are here to help. We? Calamity asked cautiously, raising an eyebrow. As in a royal Alicorn pseudo-goddess, we... No! The Cantalot ghoul blasted. We as in we! I'm not following, Calamity told him, looking around for a second bat-winged Cantalot ghoul, or for that matter, a second anything. In response, a tiny white field mouse with cute little pink eyes scurried up the Cantalot ghoul's hideous neck armour and perched on his head, squeaking... The little fellow's whisker wiggled cutely, and for some reason I couldn't fathom, the tiny mouse struck an even deeper note of terror in me than the apparent reaper pony had. Wait, my little pony insisted. I should know this. The little pony slammed together bits of memory like a puzzle. His name was Lionheart. I remember DJ Punkery's broadcast after the Enclave attacked Friendship City, a broadcast focused not on the horror and the tragedy but on the heroic response she was seeing all across Equestria. I have a tale here of two such heroes taking down one of those warships just south of Stalingrad. That's a calling card, Lion and Mouse. Well, I tell you what, Lion and Mouse, drop in by Tempony Tower sometime. The only raptor taken down in a battle I wasn't there to witness. I recalled the rising panic of the communications officer on the Enclave Interwarship Channel just before it went deadly. Are you reporting the monster which down the Martus? And DJ Punthry's last broadcast, which even as I heard it, I realised had been recorded hours, if not whole days before. Amarge wasn't going to make it easy for the Enclave to catch her after all. I interrupt the Enclave's depressing ass music for a very special broadcast. I have with me two members of the Wasteland Resistance, none other than the Enclave fighting duo of Lion and Mouse. And I'll be speaking with them about that good fight, the blows they struck to the Enclave, and what every pony can do to lend a hoof. And finally, Watcher. Amarge herself insisted that she can't make it, and she told me to tell you that she's sending some more allies your way. The allies my mare friend sent me took out the overcast. Holy hot sex with Celestia. A field mouse, Calamity blinked. You brought your pet? DJ Pwn3 sent us, the ghoul announced, confirming what I had deduced. As proof, she told me to give you this. Lionheart produced a small, clear plastic bag with a memory orb inside, along with a piece of paper which simply read, Eight. The mouse snorted just a little, blasting the air with yard-long streams of terrifyingly solid pink. Oh, Calamity muttered, that mouse. Today, aboard the glorious dawn, Ensign Fancy Lad adjusted his headset once again, listening to reports from the southern detachment of Raptors. The bombing runs were proving effective at clearing out embedded clusters of enemies, but they were losing an uncomfortable amount of bombing wagons to sniper fire. Goddess damn em, he muttered. They've seeded snipers amongst the slaves. He reached a hoof to a switch beneath one of his terminal monitors, 
Raptor Nacrius was in perfect position, and otherwise only lightly engaged. He flipped a switch. Senior Comm Officer, this is Ensign Fancy Lad reporting. I suggest we send Raptor Nacrius to purge the slave compounds on South Sector 5. Copy that. The stallion's voice responded, and those were the last words Fancy Lad ever heard. He spent the next ten seconds spasming as fatal static poured out of his headset, his brain melting out of his ears and nostrils. Likewise, nearly all thirty other members of the Glorious Dawn's communications center collapsed, many of them not even managing to scream. One of them, a mayor who had put her headset aside to get a cup of coffee, now galloped for the elevator doors. With each yard, she staggered more painfully, her mind ripping apart from the soft hiss that flowed out of every headset in the room. The mayor collapsed, her eyes swimming in pools of blood, as then hoofs reached from the elevator, but no longer able to stand to reach the button. The elevator door slid open anyway, pouring out a thick, blackening mist of pink, revealing the bat-winged ghoul and his little friend standing just inside. Two days ago. Throw them at a killing joke until one of them sticks? Velvet Remedy's eyes were shooting stilettos at the albino hellhound. What? he asked, at least feigning ignorance. Killing joke turned a male hellhound into a female pony. Velvet blinked. Her eyes widened. I could almost see the spark of innovation ignite behind her black pupils. Oh, oh! She pranced in place. Idea! She sang out, and then galloped over to the doorway of Zakora's hut, virtually accosting Calamity and I. Oh, we just need to go to Stable 29! She looked at us pleadingly. Can we, please? Almost timidly, she added... If that's all right, and it won't interfere with your clandestine plans. I nodded, walking through the doorway. Of course we can! After the gushingly thankful look she gave us, I couldn't quite bring myself to tell her we would have been going there anyway. Greetings! You are Velvet Remedy! Oh my gosh! Velvet Remedy backpedaled as Lionheart's imposing figure filled the doorway. Have no fear! We are here to... He was cut off by the pained yelp of the albino hellhound. We turned to see the cyberhound crouching in a corner, his paws clamped over his ears. Um, maybe you ought to stay outside, Calamity suggested. I suspected it was less for the hellhound's sake, and more for ours. Velvet Remedy was already giving the whimpering cussant a poor thing look. I nodded to Lionheart. I wasn't so nearly as concerned about the not-a-reaper-pony as I was about the pet he travelled with. She had managed to fill an entire raptor with concentrated pink cloud in the space of less than two hours. The little beast could probably kill every pony in the hut with an accidental sneeze. Speaking of clandestine plants, Calamity started. Why don't you just fill us in a little bit about what we're doing? What's this big maiden you got hidden under your, uh, horn? The rust-coated stallion blushed a little. Apparently, there was a Pegasus colloquialism that just didn't apply well to unicorns. I had two options. Answer quickly, if only for his sake, or delay by needling him about hiding things under my horn. The latter was so tempting. As I said, I've got a plan. I began. But we can't pull it off alone. The way I figured it, we need the help of seven of the allies we've made this last two months. Two of them are currently at Spike's Cave. And one of them, Life Bloom, is with us already. The curly-maned white unicorn, who had been lying pensively near Zenith's cot, looked up at the mention of his name. Back in New Appaloosa, the night after the Sonic Rad Boom, I asked Roger to use the Sprite Bots to contact the others and gather them. I didn't bother mentioning that one of the crucial ponies, my beloved homage, wasn't going to make it. 
Well, we're going to be gathering together at the cave in less than a day. And I'll tell you everything once we're there. Well, almost everything. But there are some things we need to do first. Spack's cave? Calamity raised an eyebrow high enough to knock back his hat. It's a good thing we managed to get another pair of wings. He winced as he tried to flap his bound and wounded wing. Enclave tanks ain't designed for griffin pilots. And we'd never make that distance on hoof. You will be delivered swiftly, came the bellowing voice from outside, the open door banging from the blast. While I served at Her Majesty's pleasure, I would often be called upon to pull her royal chariot. As if that would excuse using a powerful and dangerous ally, a hero in his own right, as nothing more than a chauffeur. Oh, that ain't gonna get old, Reggie snarked, rubbing her knuckles against her ears while the hellhound whined pathetically. Calamity mulled the new information over for a moment. All right, I'll wait, he told me, clearly getting a little antsy. We trust you, little pip. Good, I said sheepishly, because the next step in this plan is to piss off a dragon. Shocked silence, magnified by the soft clank as some pony dropped something. Blinking, she said what level silence, to which a small squeak was added. Again, you let her make your plans on purpose. Before any pony could respond, a small voice wavered up from behind us. Am I still a zebra? Zenith, she... she was awake? As best I can tell, Lifebloom said, answering the bandage and shrouded zebra's question. Yes. Zenith! Came the resounding shout of joy from many muzzles, my own included, as we pounced the poor, barely recovered zebra mare. Ah, should they be doing that? The albino cyberhound asked, looking at Lifebloom with a disturbed expression. His ears flattened back. He was already halfway out the door, his zebra cloak over his back. Between the new arrivals and Zenith's awakening, the monster had apparently decided it was time to make good on his not-being-with-us stance. Oh, yes, he responded with a bright smile. As a medical pony, I can definitely attest to the healing power of group hugs. Today, from the blood-soaked badlands to the embattled ruins, the sounds of battle and the stench of death burned beneath the angry red-tinted clouds of Philadelphia, threatening to drown out every last touch of hope or good that the hellish city had left. Suddenly, a brilliant light of greenish gold burst into the sky, swooping up from the Philadelphia crater like a rising phoenix, beating back the murderous red glare of the Philadelphia skies. But only for a moment... Then that glow of hope winked out, disappearing through the blackened cloud cover, and Philadelphia was once again plunged into hell. Too busy fighting for their own lives, almost no pony noticed. Two days ago. This is it. I watched as Zenith struggled through her own crisis of faith. The zebra was crouched down staring hatefully at the strange bluish rock from Sweetie Belle's storage container. Lifebloom was stammering nearby, once again trying to persuade her that she shouldn't be out of bed. This is the great nemesis of my people, she said with a growl that would have done a hellhound proud. This is what we have suffered and killed and died over. It is just a rock. Zenith stood up over the chunk of meteorite, her body swaying alarmingly from the wake of the sudden movement. Just a stupid... Meaningless rock! Her hoof came up and slammed down on the bluish stone in one focused blow. 
I'd seen Zenith's Who strike bone-breaking blows to hellhounds and kill through Steel Ranger armour. Even in my friend's weakened state, the hunk of star rock didn't stand a chance. The meteorite was pulverised into a fine blue powder beneath her hoof. Zenith stood there, breast heaving with panting breaths, then wobbled and collapsed. Celestia, have mercy! Lifebloom ranted as he moved quickly to Zenith's side. Do you people ever listen to your medics? Velvet Remedy answers succinctly, No. You're in no condition to be exerting yourself. He told Zenith sternly, looking over his shoulder at Reggie as he reiterated, And neither are you. Then make us so! Reggie huffed. It doesn't work like that, Lifebloom stated. And didn't I wish it did? I was barely able to stand. Only the adrenaline from seeing Zenith wake up was keeping me from hitting the floor and falling asleep, and probably not in that order. I kept telling myself I was going to have a nice, long, comatose sleep in just a few days. My body didn't care and wasn't listening anymore. Maybe your spells do not, Zenith intoned slowly, her richly exotic voice almost hypnotizing me in my weary state. But there are plenty of herbs and powders here which I could mix for such effects and more. We looked around. To most of us, Zakora's hut was full of rubbish. Amongst the shards of pottery and broken glass were numerous bottles, vials and jars, of what, to us, was nothing but preserved weeds and desiccated garbage. But Zenith was seeing more. Much more. This hut. This was clearly once the home of a great zebra alchemist. Zenith informed us. The wonders that these receptacles contain. She trailed off. So, Reggie said hopefully, we're not going to miss out on the big fight after all. Zenith's gaze fell upon me. We will be ready for battle, little one. Just, could you help me stir? She blushed slightly. And stand up. Today. Stern watched from the roof of what once had been Red Eye's office in the Ministry of Morale. As the Cyber Dragon, surrounded by six of those damn raptors, finally let out a death wail and fell, twisting in the air as it tumbled back to the earth. Its body crushed the ruined buildings beneath it, a bellowing cloud of dust and rubble washing through the streets. As pure luck would have it, the dragon's tail struck down against one of the raptors, pulverising the dragon killer's starboard propellers. The dragon had taken one last one of those black horrors with it. Good for you, Stern grunted. The roof access door stamped open behind her. The griffin heard hooves galloping out. What? she asked, her voice filled with measured annoyance at the intrusion. The sleek black griffin turned her white feathered head towards the source of the bother and stopped when she saw the battered and bleeding zebra in a tattered cloak and haggard saddle pouch. The zebra was panting heavily, her scarred body almost shaking with drive. Stern stepped back, considering the zebra. Wait! I know you! She said after just a moment, her eyes lighting with recognition. You're that fighter from the pit! The one Red Eye let go! Stern was not a stupid griffin. She knew where the few zebra slaves she'd captured had come from, and even if she didn't, it was impossible to miss the burning hatred in this one's eyes. With a flap of her wings, she took to the air, carrying herself out from what she knew to be the zebra's rather impressive jumping range. Sorry I came all the way home for nothing, she told the zebra flatly. But I have more critical things to deal with than you and whatever score you want to settle. In case you haven't noticed, we're at war. 
The black griffin gave the zebra a dismissive wave of her tail as she turned towards the area of the cities where the raptors were beginning to separate. Two of them were already starting to burn away her ground forces and her city with their powerful plasma cannons. Zenith panted, snorting, as she watched the talon griffin fly away. Then she craned her neck back, pulling her blood-winged talisman out of the pouch. Zenith tossed the talisman over her head and groaned in momentary pain as she grew wings of her own. Two days ago. The third day seemed to pass in a montage. I slipped in and out of sleep several times, mostly in transit aboard the tortoise. Zenith had spent hours working on brews, most of which she had administered to herself or to Reggie, although one had been given to Calamity to help strengthen his healing wing. A couple of those brews, I knew from experience, were not merely of the healing sort. Once Zenith and Reggie were fit to travel, we began to move. I barely remembered Tamponi Tower, and I have only the haziest recollection of delivering the refugees to Junction R7, save for one stark moment of clarity when I spotted our overmare there. She was delivering the first of Stable 2's apple orchard to Shattered Hoof. Something, I thought happily, that was going according to design. I had high hopes for the future of this place. But my longest period of wakefulness started when Lionheart touched the tortoise down on the fetlock. This is where you wish to be? Are you certain? The Gantort ghoul's voice echoed painfully inside the sky tank. I see nothing here but rubble. That's because the real fun's underground. Calamity retorted, rubbing his ears. And... ow? I'm sorry! Lionheart bellowed, not helping in the slightest. Velvet Remedy and I quickly disembarked. It could have been worse. I'd been concerned about taking a ride with Mouse. She may no longer be a gigantic, terrible, teeth-gnashing, sharp-scaled, horned, pink-cloud-snoring, could-eat-a-pony-in-one-bite dragon, but she was still one of the most dangerous creatures in the equestrian wasteland. Possibly, in a way... Even more so than before, now that she was no longer confined to the royal treasury. Trapped inside a fused hoard of gold, gems and valuables. From what I'd gleaned from Lionheart, Mouse had survived the crumble and the fall of Cantalot by just being that tough. As if the transformation hadn't somehow taken all that ancient draconic resilience and compacted it down to this new, and admittedly cute, form. That was not what the spell was supposed to do. But then, dragons had magic of their own. When I put voice to those concerns, the former royal guard had responded by producing what I had first mistook for a giant pink marble. On closer inspection, I'd seen that the glass sphere had been some sort of pet ball, the glass surface having warped so badly from the concentrated pink cloud inside it that it had become completely sealed. How does she get in and out? I asked. How does she breathe? Velvet wondered, aghast, and then quickly checked herself. Of course she doesn't have to, does she? She would be the ultimate cantaloupe ghoul, I suppose. The gaunt, reaper-like Pegasus nodded to her, answering me cryptically. Dragon magic! I went out on a limb and guessed he didn't know either. Velvet Remedy and I trotted carefully through the bleak rubble of Fetlock. I had my EFS up, but my compass wasn't showing any hostiles. It wasn't showing any life at all. A cold wind stirred up flakes of ash and debris. In all directions lay ruins which were once bright, happy homes for pony families. As we neared the waiting station for Sky Bandit stages, my eyes caught black writing on a freestanding wall. Centuries-old graffiti. Every pony is gone. I was moored in place by the overwhelming desolation of the equestrian wasteland. 
My reverie was broken by the sound of a pony coal hover scraping against asphalt as Velvet Remedy shifted it open with a hoof. She glanced at me sheepishly, probably realising that would have been a better job for her horn, and then vanished into the darkness below. I moved forward to follow her, but my ears caught sound. A touch of conversation? Cautiously, I moved towards the shelter where I had fought my first manticore. As I neared, lights winked into existence on my compass, and the voices became clearer. I breathed a sigh of relief as none of the lights appeared hostile. Even got a fresh supply of dash straight from the angels, I heard a stallion saying. Just tell me what you need. The good doctor's got your fix. Urgh, replied a grizzled voice. You're selling sticks. I don't need sticks, especially sticks from her pony. And no, the stallion repeated, skillfully hiding any hint of exasperation. Fix, I have to fix. Drugs, my good doggy, drugs. Rounding the corner, my eyes alighted on a pony dressed in what had once been a high society attire, probably from Tempony Tower, before it had become so well-travelled. He was accompanied by a Brahmin and a Griffin, the latter wearing talon armour with an unfamiliar insignia. Neither Gord's nor Stern's company, carrying a rocket launcher over her back. The customer that Stallion was attempting to engage in conversation was a heavily greyed elderly hellhound holding a brush gun modified with a scope. The hellhound was crouched down, staring closely at the pony, a look of confusion on his face. You got rugs! How are you going to stop them winged ponies with rugs? The hellhound barked. Are they flying rugs? I cleared my throat. The stallion shifted an eye towards me, unwilling to fully turn his head away from the dangerous monster he was trying to sell to. A look of relief crossed his face. Dr. Hoof at your service. He smiled nervously, taking a slight step back from the hellhound. Don't mind this fellow. He added, not wanting me to provoke or shoot his customer. He seems genial enough, but I do believe he's hard of hearing. Barkin saw. Our albino friend had indeed sent someone who might be interested in helping us. The hellhound who'd seen the enclave enslave his whole town. The deaf and senile one. Yay? Turning to Doc Hoof, I asked, Do you have any healing potions or bandages? Medical supplies? I might as well do something useful with the bottle caps I still had to my name. Oh, yes! The stallion whinnied proudly. Ever since that remedy lass invested, I've been able to procure quite the stock. Wait, what? Velvet? When? I shook my brain, but the only time I could come up with was while I was behind the wall in Philadelphia. My little pony chided that I shouldn't be surprised. It wasn't as if my friends just stood around idly when I wasn't with them. Let's just see what the good doctor has in his magic bag, shall we? What he had was impressive. Today. Gord stood on the dark grey cloud and stared into the quickly closing hole over Manhattan, favouring her wounded hind leg. A tear ran down from her good eye and over her beak, hanging on the tip of it before dropping off and disappearing into the same gulf that had swallowed her daughter. The Enclave Patrol had taken out two of their own, including her daughter, before she could finish them. And as a group of six more carapace-armoured pegasi approaching her from behind proved, the first patrol had managed to send a warning before they were dispersed. Gord checked the load on her magical shotgun, a thin grimace drawing across her beak. Don't move! warned the Enclave soldiers as they drew near. One wrong swish of your tails, and both of you are ash! Gord traded a sidelong glance with Blackwing. The other griffin gave a slight smile that said all she needed to say.
The two griffins swung around, aiming their weapons as the sky erupted in deafening thunder. Yeah! Reggie roared as three of the six Enclave soldiers were obliterated by the sheer force of Little Gilda. Gord blinked in disbelief and then recovered, just a feather's breadth faster than the remaining Enclave Pegasi did. Shotgun vaporized one of them. Blackwing struck down the second, but not before a beam of light struck out, hitting her left wing and dissolving two-thirds of it. Gord swooped to catch the crippled griffin as Reggie annihilated the last Pegasus with the supergun. Blackwing! She called out, dashing forward. Hold on! I've got healing potions! Where? The griffin asked, trying to focus. The hell did you come from? That poison, he knew, should have killed her, or at least paralysed her. The fall would have done the rest. What? Reggie teased as she fretfully dug into her bags, ignoring the looks her mother was giving her. Never seen a zebra augment a griffin before? Gordonia wasn't sure if she wanted to hug Regina or give her backside a thrashing. Now don't you dare pass out on me, Reggie told Blackwing as she poured the healing liquid into the griffin's beak. We still have some clouds to clear. Two days ago. I know it's not going to be as simple as turning a rock into a top hat. Velvet was telling Elder Crossroads as I finally joined them in the bowels of Stable 29. But I'm sure it's possible. In the time it took to sound out Barkin's saw and determine that the Hellhound was actually a potential ally, a process which started by having to explain to him that I was the pony he was looking for, not Doc Hoof, Velvet Remedy had talked her way into the AJ Rangers headquarters, gained an audience with their elder, and pitched her request. The new leader of the Applejack's Rangers mulled it over. Any friend of Steelhoof's is a lifelong friend of the Rangers, she began. We'd be honoured to lend our hooves if you were asking any other thing. Velvet Remedy's face scrunched up like she'd bitten something sour. But you are asking us to help propagate Equestria's alicorn problem. The brown mare with the cropped yellow mane continued. You do remember that Steelhoof's was known as the mighty alicorn hunter, don't you? And there was a reason for that. These are not... They are not monsters, Velvet Remedy snapped. They're victims of the goddess, of Red Eye. And now, when they finally have a chance at freedom and individuality, you're talking like they're a particularly unpleasant infestation that needs to be exterminated. We need to do better, I commented as I stepped fully into the room, my words echoing those of Lifebloom. My heart shared his sentiments. He saw how much the efforts of the Twilight Society had fallen short, how paltry they seemed. I was seeing my own in a similar light, particularly where the hellhounds were involved. Seeing Velvet and Crossroads, I sensed we weren't the only two due for this awakening. Elder Crossroads looked between Velvet and I, and then compromised. The research you desire access to really belongs to ex-scribe Rattle, the Elder decided. Fortunately, he was one of the survivors of the Friendship City Massacre. He is still recovering at Tempony Tower under the care of Dr. Helpinghoof. If you want access to his experimentation records and studies in transformation magic, you need only to obtain his permission. Velvet Remedy found that agreeable. More so, it gave her an excuse to visit the good doctor again. The real good doctor, not the wandering merchant outside selling dash to passerbys. We have secured Buckling Cross as an Applejack's Rangers outpost. Elder Crossroads whinnied. His research is largely in the mainframe there. If he's willing to help you, have him give you his passwords. We'll see to the rest. The brown mare looked to me. And did you want something as well? Or was this a social call? I steeled myself. I need every Applejack's ranger you can spare. The elder lifted an eyebrow. Battle coming? 
I nodded. The big one. Today. Zenith hit the gabled rooftop with a bone-cracking thud, skidding down the broken roofing tiles and thumping against the jagged remains of a chimney. Stern landed on the apex of the roof with her hind legs, cradling her shattered firing arm and glaring down at the zebra who had dared challenge her in the air. Zenith had proven every bit the better fighter than she had shown herself to be in the pit. Being a better fighter isn't worth much in Pegasus fighting when you're up against a better flyer. And this zebra had used her wings like she'd just grown them. This was a doomed fight from its inception, Stern growled, deciding how best to finish the damn slave. Her preferred method, her anti-machine rifle, was no longer an option as the pain in her arm attested to. The zebra had seen to that. Just who do you think you are? I am no one, Zenith said softly, coughing up blood. Stern's eyes widened. Hadn't this one been mute? Maybe she was thinking of the wrong zebra. No, that wasn't possible. Then what made you think you could take me? Stern hissed in disbelief, shifting carefully down the slope of the roof, silhouetted against the boiling red of the Philadelphia sky. Because... Zenith coughed again, moaning in pain as she tried to move, tried to get back up. I am not alone. What? Stern managed, eyes widening, just before the second zebra appeared overhead, the wind blowing back the hood of her cloak as she drove her hooves into the black griffin's back with spine-shattering force. Don't touch my mother! Two days ago. Sunset spread out across the equestrian wasteland like a heavy blanket, the ruddy colours making the cloud curtain glow like a warning light. It looked like the clouds were bleeding. Elder Cross had given us a full dozen Applejacks rangers and offered us access to their armoury. I personally declined the latter. This wasn't a battle we could win with bullets, but I made sure each of the rangers was fitted for the fight of a lifetime. Paladin Strawberry Lemonade? Calamity asked, sounding impressed. Junior Paladin, the mayor answered humbly. But yes, and I'll probably be a full paladin after this. She didn't even know what the this was, but that didn't shake the faith in her voice. Her chipper voice became slightly more subdued as she explained. Promotions tend to come quickly in wartime. How is that struggle going? Velvet Remedy asked demurely. Oh, the shooting has died down between us and the Steel Rangers. The Enclave invasion sent the Steel Rangers back into their holes. Based on what Crossroads told me earlier, the Applejacks Rangers, meanwhile, had divided their efforts between helping the rest of the wasteland against the Enclave, fortifying and licking their own wounds. But I hardly expected the proud young paladin to put it that way. Trotting a bazaars, as is Manhattan. Philadelphia is theirs. But it's such a mess right now, why would we want it? Because there are several hundred ponies there in desperate need of your help. Or how about just because it has the Stable Tech headquarters in their mainframe? Or just because it's the right thing to do? I tactfully didn't mention those out loud. Elder Crossroads had priorities well in hoof. There was no need to rain on the patriotic enthusiasm of the young paladin. Joy now. Grim realities would come soon enough. I shifted, gazing out over the equestrian wasteland through the narrow window of the Enclave Sky Tank, taking it in with my own eyes one last time. In two months, I had seen horrors enough to spawn a lifetime of nightmares, cruelty and despair that could kill the soul. The wasteland was like a corpse, seeming dead and gone, nothing but an empty husk, but crawling with terrible things feeding off its rotting flesh. Things I had fought, and fought successfully, 
although all too often at great cost. I am Little Pip, I declared softly, the conversation between just the wasteland and me. Damaged, but not defeated. I looked for something else to say, but only one thing came from my heart. You don't win. A moment later, we burst above the cloud curtain, and the twilight sky opened above us, twinkling with stars. Today, the little light of hope reappeared in the sky above Philadelphia once again, punching down through the clouds of black and red like a shooting star. Streams of poisoned light flowed off the star as it pulsed, each little flash brighter and brighter. The little light of hope exploded in a blast brighter than Celestia's sun itself, a ring of sickly colours erupting forth from that centre, driving winds before it and tearing the hellish clouds away. Sunlight, pure and clean, poured into the poison city of Philadelphia from a brilliant blue sky. The expanding toxic rainbow tore apart the remaining raptors before striking a fatal blow to the already failing glorious dawn. The great black siege platform seemed to collapse under its own weight, tearing itself apart. Raining pegasides, it plunged out of the air with a sick rumble. The tiny speck which was once the glowing light of hope continued to fall, dropping at breakneck speed towards the Philadelphia crater from whence it had come. The shape of something that resembled a pony only gaunt and strange with leathery back-like wings, arched out of the fallen corpse of a glorious dawn and sped through the air to catch it. Two days ago. No! Spike roared, the force of his shout threatening to blow the tortoise back off the ledge outside his cave. The giant purple dragon slammed a fist down on the mountain, standing in the entrance of his home. Little Pep! You know why I don't allow steel rangers in my home, and you brought a dozen of them here. Piss off a dragon. Check. Spike, I said calmly. These are Applejack's rangers. They're the good guys. Pointing a hoof, I admonished reasonably. And you should know that. You've seen the good they've been doing. You've been watching. Spike's snout twisted into a begrudging frown, and he crossed his arms, snorting smoke. Well... I still don't see why you had to bring them here. I sighed deeply. Time to pull out the big puppy eyes. Don't you trust me, Spike? The dragon groaned. Ah, only for you, little Pip. Spike lowered his snout and glared at the frontmost ranger. But behave yourselves. No wandering. Stay in the front room. Got it? Yes, your scaliness. The pony managed from inside her magically powered armor. The slight attempt at remaining tough felt humorous considering Spike could completely enwrap the mare with his tongue. A lot of us trotted into the gaping moor of the dragon cave, Pylite and Reggie flying above us, the little pink orb squeaking as it rolled along between our hooves, the shadow of the mouse inside barely visible. The darkness of the opening gave way to the brightness of the interior. I drew up short, gasping at what I saw. Spike's cave home starkly was not how I remembered it. Spike's piles of gems had been removed, but not far. They'd become a glittering mosaic that covered every wall, depicting images of the ministry mares in the joy of their youth. I recognised some of the scenes from stories Spike had told us when we had visited him here several weeks ago. Strings of gems were slung across the ceiling, and slung between the multitudes of bookshelves like decorations. The gems were enchanted to glow with a soft, coloured light. The walls glistened, reflecting those lights as an inverted mirror ball. Do you like it? Silverbell chimed, galloping up to us. 
I made the cave pretty. I nodded, stunned. It was beautiful and more than a little overwhelming. Oh my, Velvet purred. Yes, you most certainly did. She caught the filly in a hug. I looked around and spotted Ditsy Doo not far away, smiling. Regina! The cry came from Gordnia, the older griffin bursting out of a group of ponies and soaring across the room to reunite with her daughter. Spike's cave was crowded. Seven. I tried to gather seven allies. There were a lot more than seven people here. I spotted Blackwing and her team of talons. I blinked as I recognised the white coat and electric blue mane of Morning Frost standing next to her sunflower-coated friend Sunglint. Was Tracker here too? No, I learned quickly, but before vanishing into seclusion, he had contacted them. We had heard you were planning something big, Sunglint said with a cheerful seriousness, and we want to help. We feel just awful about everything the Enclave is doing. This... this just isn't right. Ponies shouldn't act this way. I couldn't agree more, came the familiar voice of the amber-coated Wasteland Crusader. My jaw dropped. They were here too? What? Uh, how? Watch it told us, she said with a stubborn stomp. You didn't think you were going to leave us out of this, did you? Well, yes, actually. This was... I didn't have words. Hell, I didn't even know several of these ponies. You invited my daughter, Zenith whispered into my ear, having spotted several zebras clustered into the crux of two towering bookshelves. It took me a moment, but I recognized Zephyr and the zebra next to her, who had painted herself to be nearly black with thin white stripes was gloom. Zenith looked slightly mortified. I shot Spike a look, and he just smiled and shrugged, deftly shifting blame. This was more Amar's idea than mine. Oh, that's so figured. I waded through the room, feeling dazed. Every few feet, I was stopped by some pony, or zebra or griffin, who wanted to greet me. All around me, conversations were bubbling. Gord thudded down in front of me, blocking my view of everything. Tears were flowing down her cheek from her good eye, and I could see her fighting to keep my composure. Tell me it was worth it, she demanded, her voice low and dangerous. I froze. Oh, goddesses, she'd just learned about Cage. It was worth it, Mum, Reggie interrupted, flying up next to me before my brain could put words in my mouth. Gord glared at her daughter, but Regina stood firm. Cage! Gordonia bit back a shout, her tears flowing. He was a fighter, a talon, but it was my son. He died like a talon, I offered, my words feeling lame as they slipped off my tongue. Brave and steadfast to the very end. Gord's stormy demeanor did not improve. Reggie flew in front of me, nearly beak to beak with the larger and more grizzled version of herself. Cage died striking a fatal blow to the Enclave, Regina told her mother. Not an instant kill, no, but fatal. A slow death, like the thrust of a poison knife. Gord did seem to appreciate that, but Reggie wasn't done. How many griffins died, Mum, when the Enclave invaded the skies of our homeland? How many more do you think will die before they're done if we don't stop them? Reggie brushed back her head feathers. This was our fight long before it was theirs. The conversations around us had gone silent. Every pony, and dragon, griffin, zebra, and phoenix was watching. Reggie glanced back at me, giving me a small smile before rounding on her mother again. And so far, it seems Clabbing and his friends have done most of the fighting for us. 
Was it worth it for Cage? Your son? My brother actually got in a blow? Fuck yes! Gordonia Grimfeathers wiped her eye and gazed at her daughter. The rest of the room seemed to be holding its breath. And then I heard a whooping whistle, and the Amber Mare started stomping applause. Soon, the whole room was thundering. Well, okay then, Gordonia said softly. You didn't need to yell. I'm your mother. Reggie looked sheepish and then wrapped her mother in an embrace. Ah, what's going on? Birkin saw asked nearby. What did she say? Today. We emerged from the cloud curtain right beneath Navarro and flew directly into the path of two of the raptors. Spike tore past one of them, breathing green fire across its propeller array as he passed. Half of the propellers exploded in flame, and the others dissolved outright. The burning raptor cantered, out of control, and began to dip into the cloud curtain. Victorious! This is nothing up to loosen! A voice cried alarm over the Enclave military channel and into my ear. We're under attack! It's... it's a dragon! Spike swooped up through the second layer of clouds, drawing out of sight of the raptors and their parent Thunderhead. He drew up, hovering just outside of the wall of blue light that protected Navarro, his giant wings flapping slowly. Inside, Pegasi were galloping out of the barracks and buildings, staring up the humongous purple and green creature who had positioned himself between them and the morning sun, casting his shadow across the eastern part of the base. The raptor Noctilucent tore up through the clouds, its weapons swivelling towards Spike, bright light building up inside the barrel. Spike attacked the shield, and the blue wall of energy buckled, warped, and collapsed under the unstoppable force of Twilight's number one assistant. End of part one. Another big one, folks. Now here's some music while I catch my breath. Tune in for part two soon. Now here's Greenhome with whiskey. Enjoy, people. Oh, I should have just sent the whiskey when they saw the trouble coming. Oh, they should have just sent the whiskey, then there wouldn't be a running. The times are tough, the things are bad, so why be dumb and risky? When you see the trouble come, you better just send the whiskey. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.